Listen, if you dare, to the Lovecraft Tapes. Welcome to the Lovecraft Tapes podcast. This is Case 12, Color of Lightning. I am Jeremy, your keeper of Arcane Lore, and we play Chaosium's Call of Cthulhu, a role-playing game filled with cosmic horror, existential dread, and the occasional slippery banana peel strategically placed at the edge of a sidewalk next to a half-hidden open manhole. Your cast members are... Gabe! He tried to catch me off guard with the yawn, but it didn't work. Matt! New Q&A, who dis? And Brian. <laughs> you do it! <laughs> Alright, welcome players. Uh, tonight we will be answering questions regarding the podcast and our recently completed scenario. Spoiler alert to everybody listening and watching. We will discuss all of the nitty-gritty details of this adventure. All of them. So if you haven't listened yet, you may want to go back and start at Case 12, oddly enough, Tape 1, Prologue. Before listening to the rest of this episode, you have been warned. This show is brought to you in part by our generous fans and supporters on Patreon.com slash Tapes. So thank you very much to our old friend, Zachary Harley, Jordy Rose, Barry Robinson, Brittany Davis, Chris Parker, Chris, Elizabeth Grieve, Etulia, Brownie Davis, Jefferson Bell, Madeline Turnipseed, Eric Zane, Cal Sherman, Olda Polkert, Mitch L., Lobster Johnson, Huge Pie, Frank Delventhal, David Winterman, Snow, Wouter Vermeyen, Yasmin Amber, Wild Pants, Daniel Hissey, Eric Phillips, Malambra57, John Imray, Amanda Power, Daniel Caprone, Dakota Smith, Dom Driver, John May, Bastard King, Ripley Iwin. Phil Dickinson, Eric Setterberg, Davinia Von Zarevich, Robert Jamison, Young Old One, Boston Harbor Horror, Mall, Rain Bedwell, Yogg, Liz Moonberry, Stephen Gregory, A.E. Jonesy, Marty Dixon, Andrew Petty, Chainsaw Unicorn, Flix Capacitator, Sheldon Warner, Captain Vashton, Ruined Ashes, Shane Stoley, Peter VDB, Gregory Schmucker, Rolling Boxcars, Alex... Christopher Woods, James Brown, Ineptus Sardis, Bifford, David Stefanoff, Jeffrey Young, John Scarcella, Hoser underscore 21, Alexandra Kroska, Holden Omans, Matthew, Batran, Dingus Khan, Tian Tai, AJ Ake, some guy named Justin Lowak, Phil Campbell, John Konopasik, Kevin G, Mick Cope, Tomas, Kevin C, Robert Lamb, The Frilled Shark, Phoenix Black, Casper Rybeck, Benjamin Webb King, and finally, Serotin Wizard of Isenglass. Thank you, guys. Appreciate all the support. Now, dear investigators, we recap Case 12, Color of Lightning. Previously on the Lovecraft Tapes. Back in Arkham, Rocky and Roy set up shop at Blaine Manor, which reveals even more secrets beneath. Local relator Pippa Chatterton joins forces with the Arroyo brothers even as a strange traveling carnival blows into town, bringing with it new dangers and a disturbing link to the past. The trio plums the mysteries of Madame Starbuck's sideshow, garnering unwanted attention as their ranks are soon divided and madness settles upon the sleepy New England town. It all culminates in a fiery confrontation in the Big Top Tent, where evil is thwarted once again, though its presence 
has left a lasting mark on our investigators of the unknown. All right, guys, let's A some cues. What do you say? <laughs> no, thanks. I've been waiting all day. I'm out of here. Uh, <laughs> see you later. Come on, let's do it. All right, uh, from Ineptist Astartes, another random question, Insomnia Listening 14.0. In Hell House Case 5, Tape 7, when they're in the church, Gabe gets a secret message from Jeremy. What was that about? Remember? No. Uh, so what I think it was, it was a, a sort of madness thing. So like Roy only knew certain things. So I think that was maybe the vampire situation. Yeah, that rings a bell. Right? The the stained glass and all that. And uh, I believe what it was was a, a secret message to him to help guide him on the madness so that he would be acting weird and these guys would have no clue as to why. Yeah, that sounds right. Generally, secret notes are just directions on madness or like, you got to do this and no one can know. That's generally what they are. We were trying to cue the listeners in, but it's tough to do that on a regular basis yeah. just because... We're, we're doing this live, so everybody knows everything, and you can go see it later on. Right. So it's, I try to avoid that these days, but back then... Just for honesty, I don't ever watch the YouTube stuff, because I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I like to play the game and figure out what's going on. Matt watches everything, writes mm -hmm. everything down. He's a secret mm -hmm. patron. Uh, Brownie asks, if the current storyline ever completes... Will a new storyline be started with new characters, a new one with existing characters, or something else? Probably a little of all of that. You might have one one character carry over, or a, re a relative of that character, maybe, or an acquaintance, something like Not that. Not like we have any Arroyos to choose from. There's, there's so few of them around. There's definitely no shortage of uh, PCs uh, that we could plug in if we needed to, and we, we're pretty adept at that now. You know, We've had people die and come back and i was pretty resistant uh from the get-go to do a continuing story but people seem to like it so i've i've gone ahead and just you know maintain that i'm always looking for sort of a monster of the week kind of situation i'd rather do those sort of standalone stories and then maybe have like little tidbits that weave through little threads so i'll be scully you're trying to find the the demon with the yellow eyes that killed your mom oh wait no that's different supernatural is what that is but it's been going for 15 years so we got this so brownie i hope that uh, helps you out here uh, we're gonna move on to sheldon warner who says you have explored a variety of settings in your stories what other settings are you interested in exploring in the future i for one would love to see you all spend some time in space or overseas in a foreign country say the mediterranean we don't talk about what happened in the Mediterranean. We were on an island. I was going to say we we sort of did that, and that and that whole storyline, sort of backing up to Brownie's point, was um, my my intent was to get you guys all around the world, right? I was thinking of like those Chaosium massive campaigns where it takes place all over the world in space, probably not. I, I don't see that happening. You don't want to jump the shark just yet. We'll just stream Among Us. Roy would just bust open the sidewall, and we all die. <laughs> Gals <laughs> get sucked out through a pinhole. <laughs> because we did all those cases where we were like other places, it was kind of fun to come back to Arkham so that we could plug in those NPCs. Uh, there is something comforting about Arkham. But are we in our Arkham? We're in the future, according to Rocky. It is 2031. I forgot about that. I'm glad you reminded me. Moving on. Uh, I have a question for Matt. What was Rocky's plan if he had been able to knock out Charlene and get at the stones? Immediate thought was either destroying them 
or putting them somewhere where Starbuck couldn't get her hands on him. Considering he saw the kind of power he had, figured it wouldn't be too hard to, you know, find a dimensional pocket somewhere or a corner of the universe where it would be forever lost to time. After reading the stories and kind of putting together what was going on and what people wanted to do with them, it was one of those situations where training kind of kicks in and he knows in those situations the best way to deal with it is just to get rid of it there are some things that are too dangerous to be floating around it's curious that you say that because my impression was that you might have used that to um try to rectify your current situation with the uh filler of space so i i had the opposite idea i thought you were gonna like be the bad guy <laughs> He does seem to be that character that doesn't think of himself. He's always thinking of, okay, well, this is going to hurt everybody else. We're getting rid of it. Yeah, not an Arroyo, a.k.a. bad Arroyo. The character and the person aren't the same thing. We know Matt would take over the planet. Oh, God, yeah, that'd be fucking great. President Matt to you. Only president. Atulia asks... We know the PCs' phobias and such. Do the players themselves have any unique fears or phobias? Claustrophobic, for sure. Well, it all stemmed from when I was little, and somebody, I couldn't say who, maybe an older brother, and then they would fold me up in the fold-out couch. The couch thing, I remember, yeah. So, yeah, a claustrophobic for me. Anybody else? I fucking hate needles. This is a question I always struggle with just because I don't know. I mean, like, I don't want to get paralyzed. That would suck. Same with me. I haven't found any. Everything people are like, oh, I hate these. I'm like, eh. Yeah, like, needles don't bother me. I'm okay with handling spiders, snakes. My mom was afraid of a lot of things when I was a kid, so I had to, like, clear a lot of rooms before. I'd have to go and do spider and snake and heights check. So, see, I used to not be great on, on heights until Brian said, hey, go stand on this graded system 50 feet in the air and stare down for an hour and then i'm not i don't care anymore four stories up will do that to you cool thanks guys uh the frilled shark says i found it immensely funny that charlene talked big the whole time after she got the stones and then immediately got dunked on by starbuck when she was outsmarted by the most basic of defenses was this always intended to happen did charlene just roll that poorly was there anything the investigators could have done ahead of time to enable her to have the full power for that fight no, I mean, Charlene was meant to be an equal to, if maybe slightly inferior to Starbuck, and it was meant to be a clash of the titans, you know? And the investigators were just there to maybe chime in with a little something-something, who knows? None of the investigators were supposed to have confronted Starbuck by themselves or even as a team without Charlene, so we had to have that sort of dynamic. Yeah, Charlene did roll very poorly, and... And uh, Starbuck did roll very nicely. And then later on, as we saw, the, the investigators did, did their part just perfectly fine. So I think it actually worked out really nicely the way that it happened. I didn't expect Charlene to die. I kind of thought that maybe she would go on and be an NPC that uh, that these guys could, you know, form a relationship with or whatever. So that that was a surprise to me. The dice just rolled that way. It didn't bother me. Yeah, I, I'm good. I need a new assistant, but other than that... I mean, it shouldn't be too hard. I hear there are a lot of people looking for jobs. Technically, um, what was going to happen, and here's a little behind-the-scenes action. If you recall, uh, Tina, the miniaturized cop in Pippa's hands, was purposely moving her eyes at Starbucks. Because she could have helped get at Starbucks' necklace. And then if Charlene had all three, 
then it might have been a different situation, right? So I should have put her on Starbuck or something? Tina would, would provide a distraction, and you get a bonus die for whatever maneuver you were going to try to grab the, the thing. Uh, I thought she was just insane. <laughs> so that's that's just one thing where I was like, what I thought was going to happen just didn't happen. Maybe if a stitch broke and she could say, throw me! Oil can. <laughs> Look over here! Don't tell anybody you've thrown me. <laughs> so I hope that uh, answers your question, Phil Shark. And Brian, you're up. First question for Matt. If there was any situation that you could have changed in this last scenario, what would it be? Ooh, I think we touched on it earlier, but I would have loved to have been able to take Charlene out of the picture a little earlier. Because, again, it would have she would have been alive. We probably would have, things would have gone down a little differently, but either way, there would have been a net gain of one person who did not die. But then she could have also been the new baddie. I mean, she did have that confidence and that attitude. I thought it would be reading the license plate correctly at the very beginning. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. We're in the future. Future. Uh, Phoenix Black says... How do you like your coffee, and how does your character take it? I actually like iced coffee. I get overheated real easy, so drinking hot liquids or eating hot stuff like that. So I like a nice iced coffee, and I don't care what's in it. It can just be straight black iced coffee. I can have caramel coffee. It does not matter to me. Pippa likes hers just straight black pipe and hot. Easy peasy, and Shirley never got it right. Most of the time, I just drink my coffee straight black every now and then if i'm feeling fancy i'll you know put in a little cream or sugar just to mix it up i've actually come to as i got older enjoy like having more bitter notes in things so that that bitter side to the just the straight black coffee is something that i've come to really love rocky is more of a tea person than a coffee person oh yeah how did i fucking know i mean if it's there and if he needs it he'll take it however he can get it but he would prefer tea over coffee if he had the choice uh, it's Earl Grey, hot. Shall I play mother? <laughs> I'm with Matt. I, lo- I, I mean, maybe not. Maybe he wouldn't agree. I want my coffee as bitter as possible. I love bitter things. Like I chug jug for net on the regular. I'm a bitter guy. But the, I'd say a big difference between me and Roy is that I only drink coffee probably every other week once because it makes me way too hyper and Roy has it like eight times a day. And uh, Roy wants his shit cold and from the bottom of the mug because he wants that crazy rust in there sludge <laughs> yeah he wants the he wants the sludge and he wants it cold not i guess not cold just like it's been sitting out yeah the burner's been turned off that way it gets even thicker i i used to be that way too back in the day like just let it boil down but now i i just i like it black and i do espresso so i, I do about uh, four shots in the morning and that's how does that. your character like it all my characters are all different so who, who the hell knows uh atulia did have a question here in the chat the people Rocky was feeling for Beyond the Veil, was it based on dice rolls, whether they'd be there or not, or were some of them predetermined not to be there? Well, a bit of both, actually. So, I know I had to roll, what was it, luck that I was rolling? It was luck, yep. Mm-hmm. And and I, I had already predetermined, like, for instance, Jack was not going to be there. And, and everybody else, we kind of had to, like, figure out, like, does it make sense that they would have been sort of lost and entombed or captured in the library city. And so if it made sense that they might have been, then we'd allow the dice roll. And as luck would have it, it just happened the way it happened. And I was pretty happy with the way it happened because there was a little bit of drama there. And it it made sense to me that he wouldn't have been able to find certain folks 
And the one that he could find, it was actually Jack's sister. Opens up some interesting uh, character development slash roleplay opportunity. Later It'll be on. very difficult because she's deaf. If we don't remember that note. Oof, we do got to remember that, yeah. We'll get her cochlear implants. I thought she was Dutch. I am not playing that character even with the implants, Matt. Sorry. Dutch chocolate. Uh, moving on. John asks for me and Brian. Jeremy, what was it like to write about or around a character with magic? And Brian, how was it playing a character with a tool magic that works about as well as all the other tools we all use, but has a bit more heft plot wise? I think the toll that is spent from using magic is much greater than any other tool I could have used physical wise, like a gun or pipe or anything like that. It really can change an entire character's personality and drive and focus. Very disappointing that I couldn't be successful. I just love to see something happen once just to see what happens, you know? And, and that was John's point was like, basically, it worked about as well as every other tool we use. <laughs> exactly. And it all comes down, honestly, it all comes down to rolling, to dice. The dice do as the dice please. This more or less is one of the first characters we've had who uses magic in a much more demonstrative way. Brian and I were trying to figure out in advance of the case, what can we do to Pippa to make sure that she is valuable to the team? And that was the thing that we sort of came upon. We were like, we crafted this sort of backstory, even though uh, it didn't quite pan out which made sense against Starbuck. You know, there, there's some interesting dynamic there with these other two guys. So hopefully in the future, uh, she'll figure things out or maybe she won't. We'll get to that here in a minute. I know there's a, another question that's sort of cropping up that uh, will impinge upon that. Uh, Matt, you're up. Gabe, you, you've been a little quiet here, so this one's for you. Uh, as the, the person currently holding the title of longest running Lovecraft tapes player character, uh, how you feeling? Do you, do you feel like Roy, you know, has some more stories in him? Are you, you happy with the way he's kind of moved through the episodes or you, you feeling like you can keep going with him for a while? There's no end in sight. I could run Roy into the point that no one wants to ever hear from him again, which probably wouldn't take that long, but I would still want to hear from him again, so it could never be done. I'll say how I'm feeling. Nervous all the time, because I, I've grown to love Roy, and I know he's going to die, but no, he isn't. He's not going to die at all. That's how I felt about Jack, too. And I also feel like, I, I, I uh, to the chat, I try and develop him to some degree. But you can only do so much. If I develop him too much in one scenario, then he could easily just be killed. The way I manipulate it is I make Jeremy want to know what happens next with Roy, and that way I don't die. Dude, I'm just hanging on. I don't, I don't know. I'm just like, okay, whatever. Let's see what happens. Phil Shark did uh, pop up a question here in the chat. Question for Gabe. If the next case takes place in New York City, will Roy go to a Yankees Sox game and start a brawl? I would love that on so much. I mean, I love unwanted violence, and I also just love non-investigative nonsense, little spice of life, build a world things that I get to do as Roy. I love so much. David Stefanoff asks, as someone who is newly into tabletop RPGs, how would you recommend going about trying to get friends and family around me to give the games a try? I've already committed to being GM Keeper Handler pretty much full time. I just need some players to run the games with. Super short scenarios to get them addicted and hooked. If you can do run a game that's going to be like a two-hour play 
or a three-hour play and give them pre-done characters so they're not coming in having to take all the time to create and do. Sometimes that's for some people starting out that might be tedious. And just like, here's your characters, here's who you are. Take a minute to read over it. Boom, jump into it. I also say humor is a really great tool for piquing interest. If you make it fun and you get people to laugh, it's a really great sign for for pulling people in. Because if you're laughing, you're having a good time. And if you're having a good time, you're you're going to want more. And there are plenty of really great like humorous one-shots out there. Like the one that we ran for our Halloween special last year was a really great humorous uh, D&D one-shot. Also, I'd say um, when you're starting out, go easy on the rules. People who are rules Nazis are dicks. And that's really the best way to make someone not want to play. I mean, as you play more with them, then integrate the rules more. But just be easy on them as you start don't um actually unless you're playing um actually in that case you kind of have to I, I will also interject that there are a couple um scenarios out there that are one-on-one so you can be have a keeper and just one investigator so if you wanted to like get people used to the dynamic that's a great way to go about it because they'll be much more comfortable in a one-to-one situation if they know you and that might give them a taste enough to want to get into a bigger group and see how that goes yeah, and so. people can watch why that one-on-one goes and it might turn into a menage a trois, and then you can add a fourth in. And then you can end it with a smooch. <laughs> yeah, it, Brian speaks from experience, yep. Strictly experience. Prophet of Woe says, So do you guys ever plan on doing a chapter based on a specific work of Lovecraft? For example, a scenario where a horror lurks in a dilapidated church, Haunter of the Dark, or one where you travel to Antarctica to check up on a research center that dropped out of contact. I know some are impossible, and they would all probably have to be homemade, but I think it would be interesting and wanted to know if it was a, a possibility for future scenarios no no it's <laughs> kidding anything's possible and those sound both sound cool <laughs> for sure like i i am a huge huge fan uh for instance of uh pickman's model i think that's a great story and i love the ghoul aspect and i would love to do something that is a take on that other stuff can be a little tricky for sure. I, I do like uh, the thing on the doorstep. Uh, Haunt of the Dark's good. The Dilapidated Church. But we kind of did that. I've, I've interjected some of those elements here and there. I don't find value or interest in doing it verbatim. Because if you read the story, you know how it's going to go. But I would love to incorporate parts of it. I've been uh, campaigning for a story where we all play rats and we are in a wall. Or cats in a house. Oh. Or witches in a dream, oh, or colors, and we're out of space. Yeah, but we'll never, we'll never do space. So, well, no, we're out of space. Yeah, there's some really cool little bits and pieces all over the place that would make really great Lovecraftian stories. I, I much prefer if those if those characters and situations directly from the stories are peripheral to what we're doing. Right. Mm-hmm. So, like, there are things that are happening, and and the investigators might be like, "Oh, wait a minute, why is that guy?" Hold up in his house and he has to keep it cold all the time. Obsidian has a quick uh, question here in the chat. What are you all dressing as for Halloween? Well, my haunted house this year is uh, Invaders from Above, and it's about alien abduction on farms. So uh, I'm not dressing as anything. I'm supervising. <laughs> uh, I'm dressing as a person going to a theme park because I'll be in Cedar Point on Halloween. Dwight Schrute. You got to get real beats. He also needs to carry around some shroot bucks that he can trade for Stanley Nichols. I'll be dressing up uh, to hand out candy to the kids here in the neighborhood if they show up and if it's not raining. Just an open bath towel. Yeah, yeah. Hey, kids. Uh, how you doing? <laughs> uh, Gabe, you're up. 
for Brian. So you obviously played a character that sucks at combat. Did you have a, a plan and a strategy for how you would handle that sucking at combat? And if so, did that plan or strategy go as you wanted it to? My plan and or strategy was to be successful at at least one role. Just to tap into the power to see what I could do was really what I wanted for that character and then my backup plan was honestly to run because i can't do anything else thinking back on it if i would have successfully landed one of those magic spells i probably would no longer have that character (laughs) blessing in disguise all right phoenix black says i just want to know whether or not rocky is aromantic and or asexual canonically i kind of like to think of him as ace honestly I mean, he's been through a lot, and he's probably seen a whole lot, and I feel like at this stage in life, he's just to the point where, in a lot of a sense, he can't really feel much anymore. The only way to keep going when you see these kind of horrible tragedies for him is at least to shut down and turn off, and by kind of a consequence of that, he doesn't really feel like he can have relationships anymore. So is that like a defense mechanism, maybe? Or is that just developed over time, you think? Where he grew up, it might have been there the whole time and then just the things that he has been through have kind of amplified that and brought it further forward i've got that vibe this whole scenario too i wasn't sure but i mean the whole charlene situation kind of cemented it he was good at talking his way out of shit though (laughs) he's like uh at this time i will be busy and unable to schedule events with you but there is a tapas restaurant event this evening that is not even real finally crossy crossy has a question for brian How do you find playing Pippa as opposed to Jack, and how will you celebrate when a spell finally works? That's going to be glorious when the spell works. I miss Jack a lot still, just because his magic worked. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Just because he had, uh, the character development in that was much more than this one. Um, I had more time, I had more thought that I put into it, but she is growing on me. Literally. I think it's going to be interesting now that the turn of events with the magic use has drained me, and it's now like an addiction and a part of me that I have to push, and I think that's going to change the personality a bit here and there, depending on the guys, if they help me through it or not. I think it's going to be <laughs> Roy's like, nah. Down the elevator shaft. It, it definitely is different, and I'm definitely mindful of, of who I'm playing and trying to be mindful of how the actions take place and what's set and all of that. I will say you're doing a great job. And I'll say you're doing a terrible job, just to to balance it out. (laughs) All right, lovely. I I do have a follow-up question. Uh, My question is, Brian, did Pippa ever consider actually joining up with Madam Starbuck? And what did you imagine that would look like? Uh, No, she did not. Before learning about the dolls, learning about the kidnappings and all of that, her first priority was to try to get the the stone. Was she ever uh, enticed? or intrigued enough by the promise of power? No, she was still bitter and pissed off about the dream invasion. <laughs> oh, she holds a grudge. After seeing the pain and the, and the horror on the faces of the other officers when, uh, was it Tina, right? Tina went missing, and then seeing her there in the dollhouse and being tortured, it just amplified all of that hate and that anger. That's why I couldn't cast. I was too angry. Maybe that's it. Yeah, you, you have not yet uh, mastered your emotions. You haven't really found out who I am as a person either. Finding out what's important. Uh, Phil Campbell says, If you had the chance to go back and change or re-record one of the earlier episodes, which one would that be and why? I would find the one where we did not 
play the uh, female properly. All of them? Just based on the criticism? On the feedback and criticism, yeah, and input. I would not get into a fight with Jeremy in that one episode. Did we get into a friction situation? Growing pains really is what it was. So, Matt, how about you? It's a very, very close call between two episodes, but if I had to pick one, it'd be go back and redo the first Cthulhu episode and get the rules correct. What was the second one, did you say? Uh, the second one was the the last episode uh, with Detox. I feel like I, I really wanted to spend some more time with them, and it would have been really fun to kind of poke into that and the element of having a criminal in between two, two FBI agents, and I felt like that would have been some really funny opportunities and some really, really interesting roleplay bits, and I'm kind of sad that I only got um, one one shot with them before they were gone. Obviously, the case is one through three. Uh, I would like to go back and redo just for the quality. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to redo every George episode and put me in it. Let's uh, move on. Brian, you're on your second question. Okay, this one is for Jeremy. Um, at the very final battle, how was it that you were able to control the dice rolls of every player and NPC? I told you there's like a little box in Roll20 that just allows him to always roll really well. Is this podcast scripted? It wasn't done. Matt jumped in too early. Well, that's because the script told me to, to jump in early. Are you not? Yeah, yeah. I gave Matt the script. and it I didn't get clearly. my revision, so I'm still stuck on the first draft. Oh, well, we'll have to get that out to you right away. I mean, I'm shocked and amazed sometimes at the rolls that do occur. That's the real question from that is, is are you like stunned when you get unbelievable rolls all the time? I'm, I'm delighted and elated when it happens on both ends of the spectrum. And it forces us to veer into true improv. And we have to like fly by the seat of our pants and figure things out real quick. And sometimes that goes awesome all right moving on chris parker says how did the players and keeper enjoy the change of pace with the solo sessions for tape seven given the opportunity to organically revisit the technique in the future would you we we did that as a practical matter because we were unable to schedule i came upon the idea of having her visit you guys in the dreams and entice each one of you did you guys enjoy that I did. No, I think we did that once before in an earlier scenario, and I really enjoyed that as well. Yeah, we did uh, back, was it the island case where we split up and we did a couple of episodes two and two and we went back and forth. You know what I really like about that is it gets you more into your character because the focus is really on that character for that whole recording. So you actually feel more of of how to drive that character and guide that character. It really gets you uh, into the psyche of of where they should be going. No, I I agree with that. See, I'm all about the character development, so obviously I like it. I like that we're able to do it organically. If every week that we can't do something, we were just like, fuck it, we'll do this, I I wouldn't think it's a good thing, but... The fact that we're able to do it and keep it organic and keep it something for the story is good. Yeah, I I particularly like the fact that uh, at least the way we did it there was one-on-one. So there was no humor. It brought the tempo in a different direction, at least for a certain part. And then we got back to our shenanigans. The serious episode. There was no real opportunity for humor. Right. The situation was dire. And I think in the context of that, of the arcs that I uh, use for the three-act structure of the podcast uh, cases, you, you need that sort of like bitterness, that bitter pill right in the middle to kind of mix things up and keep the audience hopefully a little interested and and let these guys delve a bit deeper 
without the distraction of us talking over each other and that sort of thing and and trying to come up with one-liners and and improving all all the way it's a, it's a nice change of pace i really enjoy it for sure organically i think we'll absolutely revisit it we already did it once if not more than once um, it was also a lot of fun back uh, as matt said when we had Zach on and you guys were on the island and I'd split you guys up. And so we had, I think, four episodes where it was like just the two of you guys, just the two of you guys, just the two of you guys. And then when they all came together, it was kind of fun. It was magic. The hard part, though, is remembering that they didn't hear any of the stuff that we talked about in the previous thing together. You know what I mean? The dream thing was easier because it was a dream. Obviously, they wouldn't be there. But you're on an island and you're separated and you're like, yeah, you guys know, you heard. No, well, you wait, didn't hear. No. <laughs> no, you weren't there. No. Uh, we did have another question in the chat. Crossy wants to know, who would win in a fight? Madam Starbuck or Tall Vampire Mommy? Tall Vampire Mommy, oh, no contest. Yeah. They both lost. Who cares? They're both losers. I had uh, high hopes for Madam Starbuck. I did not base Madam Starbuck on Vampire Mommy. I actually envisioned Starbuck originally to be a man. That's interesting, because I always imagined her as like a, as like the bearded lady from the carnival. That's always how I pictured her. My first image of Starbuck was, if you play Overwatch, I my first thought of her was almost in the same vein as Moira. If you go and you look at photos of her with that like really sharp, angular kind of facial structure. Shows how we're all different. I based her on Jonathan Dark from Something Wicked This Way Comes. Ah, I picked up on that. Matt, you're up for your second question. Jeremy, I know that uh, we are not the greatest investigators, see elevators. Were there any obvious plot threads or hints that just totally sailed over us during that, that episode? Was there anything you wanted us to pick up and go, yes, look here, and we were just like, oh, what? There were a couple roles, so you didn't pick up on a couple little clues, but that didn't really matter in the long run because you kind of got to where you were going. I will say I did intend for Rocky to encounter more clowns i did intend for roy to encounter more mimes things just never panned out and there was too many little side plots going on and i kind of had to wind it up a bit it's really sad i never got to chase whatever that was down the the side alley of the the grocery store when i was out with finding the flyers and stuff yeah that was that was would have been cool to trace that yeah out. that that would have been clown related and, but i kind of like just had to shift some of those things you know a little bit um, I think I think there was uh, more opportunity for you guys to try to infiltrate the sideshow. Rocky has some juggling. There was going to be a whole subplot of people disappearing from Arkham and then showing up as sideshow attractions. I was wondering. Yeah, we got a little bit of that with like was Tommy was his Tommy name? Yep, yeah Tommy and Tina. That's that's the little touch. But I I kind of wanted to do. But maybe Gabe, this would have been too much further down that something we get this way comes i probably would have like said something uh moving on phoenix black says i'd love to hear what the players think of this latest case and their predictions for the future of their pcs i enjoyed the case uh, i do like being back in arkham just because i i like having the run of the town i really do i like uh just forcing jeremy to say that i know whatever npc he's about to throw at me that's one of my favorite things because i you know i, I want to fill this town with people for predictions i uh, 
I, I, I don't think that I'll be living too much longer, realistically and sadly. I, I definitely am going to go insane, and I'm definitely going to take the Pomance pill at some point. Uh, I had a good time with this one. I thought, again, coming back to Arkham is always a good time. I like the, the structure of going somewhere and coming back and going somewhere and coming back because it gives you that chance to bring the outside world in a little bit, and you can kind of change and grow and and make the town feel more alive as for rocky i mean his days are quite literally numbered at this point so as to what those numbers mean and when they run out i guess you'll have to find case 13 down the road to uh figure that one out no i thought it was very fun i like the um the there were a lot of real rapid tie-ins as it went like all of a sudden there's a parade and oh shit that's tommy driving that thing and it's like i like the fact that I couldn't figure it out as as far as the future. I think that uh, it's going to be very interesting because I think that Pippa is pretty much a different person at this point, and it's gonna it's gonna depend on the two of them if I'm able to swing back or if I'm going to swing further in and be maybe a little evil. Spoiler, my God! All right, Gabe, uh, you're on to your second question. For Matt, when did you decide that Rocky was afraid of clowns? Was that something that you just decided on the spot when you realized that clowns were involved? Or was that something you were subtly building to? Or uh, when when Jeremy locked you in a room and forced him to talk to him about the case, is that when that happened? Uh, it actually came up out of the solo sessions that we were talking about earlier since I, you two didn't listen to those, um, it was basically me going back through one of Rocky's earlier cases, which involved um, dimensional travel and clowns and a circus that was disappearing people, patrons, and performers. Coolrophobia. It's a fun little phobia. So. Coolrophobia, bro. Yeah, because he basically went through the same thing you guys did with uh, having to make some aspects of it's called watch the movie it too young a phobia i suffered watch the movie children of the corn too early phobia i was like five or six when i had an uncle who was like hey watch this movie and it was children of the corn and it scarred me he's like watch this and i was like oh god it's a kid's movie children kids of the corn how to cook corn on a gab all right uh raffris mech urk uh, says is the means of transportation the three-person bicycle in Case 11 Haunted Heart, a reference to The Picture in the House, where the main character rides a bicycle to a haunted house. If it is, I feel like you have missed a ton of these hidden references along the way. Either way, great job on the podcast, guys, and may the old ones continue to slowly deplete your sanity. Yes, yes. it is. We are smart. To answer that, no. No, it isn't. It's 100% not. Uh, I, I just thought it'd be hilarious. I was really going for a Three Stooges vibe, and uh, I thought, wouldn't it be great if the only means of transportation was a three-person bike, and they had to figure this out, and and they'd have skill rolls to go along with it. That was a little more of a serious scenario anyway. It was a reference. That was good to have that comedy at the beginning. I'm a huge fan of horror movies where the person is restricted in some fashion. So back in uh, 1990-something, <laughs> if you guys remember that, it's way back. BBC had a uh, movie, The Woman in Black, which scared the living shit out of me. And I love the fact that this character had to ride a bike across this inslet. Basically, when the tide was low, you could ride across it to the manor. But at night, the the water would 
completely make it disappear. And someone had died uh, on that uh, particular causeway. So the character is figuring these things out while he's trying to settle the estate. And it's so fucking creepy. And the fact that the character cannot leave, there's danger and ghosts. I just love that. And so I thought I'd bring a little bit of that in, but, you know, Three Stooges. So Peter VDB asks, how and when did you start playing Call of Cthulhu? Basically, I started way back in the 80s, kind of bought the books, uh, read up on it, really wanted to play, couldn't get anybody to play, didn't end up playing until we got these guys going. I was too young to remember. I like it. Well, he Jeremy started me with Dungeons and Dragons, and that's as far as we got it when I was young, up until fourteen or fifteen, and then we stopped playing. I had touched uh, rule uh, TTRPGs earlier. I played a little bit of D and D three point five in middle school, and then I didn't really touch anything since until we got the the idea for this podcast. And I kind of the first episode you hear, I guess technically episode zero is the first time I had ever picked up anything related to to call of cthulhu i have a question for gabe now that we've introduced some new folks in case 12 has roy's top five favorite npcs changed at all who are they in order top to bottom okay it's still bugsy then it's still petunia and then it's lamb at three and, and rosita at four and five that's tough that's tough Hey, Dad, can I have a hug? But there are some more people in the shed now stopping them from blowing it up. It's probably Raymond, I will say. I mean, Raymond's the golden. Hey, Dad. All right, uh, we're almost done here, guys. Riley Edwards says, The vast amount of Lovecraft-related media I've consumed has been the classics. And I'll admit, I found the starting point of the 50s a little jarring. And the leap to present day, while a clever twist, even more so. Was an early 1900s setting for the podcast ever considered? What led you to settle on the 50s? And was the jump to present day always planned? Thank you for all your truly excellent work. I really do love the show, especially Gabe's uncanny ability to make me genuinely laugh out loud when I'm working. See, when they asked me about if they wanted to go to the 50s. I remember we talked about that. We're like, what era do we would we like to play in? Because at the time, we were not expecting to do any of what we were doing now. We just wanted to get together, play, and record it for fun. You know, we thought maybe if we wanted to go back and listen to it for fun a couple of years later, that'd be cool. So we always thought we always thought the 40s and 50s were just cool because that's that time of the like the gangsters and the film noir and the you know everything was developing in California and then all that area was not overdeveloped and stuff. Brian and I really liked the movie with Fred Ward called Cast the Deadly Spell which is Cthulhu in the 50s. That has always made more sense to me than the 1920s. I think the 50s like makes more sense because it's it just has a cool vibe to it. And it's more in line with our sense of humor, I think. And who doesn't want to be a private dick? Yeah, everybody likes to be a dick. Everybody loves dick. But I was a huge proponent at the very onset to be like, let's do it present day and everybody else was kind of like no let's do let's let's go back and not let's not be in present time because present time is like what we're at and this is not interesting and so i was like cool okay let's let's do the 50s then so we started in the 50s and then when things inevitably led in case three i think to the potential for something to change then we made that change and i was unsure whether or not people would be on board with it and we kind of just we're going to see what happened but i was i was much more enamored 
with um, scenarios that were in modern day. And I thought I would be able to tell a better story if it was in modern day, because I don't have a great sense of history. I don't really like to talk in that vernacular. I mean, it's kind of fun, but it's much more comfortable that we could be more comfortable in this time frame. The only problem I have with this time frame is that the the universe that we're in doesn't have cell phone service. It's because it's 2030. We don't know anything about 2030. They're on like 70G right now, you know? Mark my words, though. One day I will convince this podcast to do a Disco Thulu episode from the 70s. Oh, that would be fun. I, I think it's a one-shot. Awesome. I feel like we did we did the jaunt. I, I don't want to do that again. I agree. Uh, moving on. Openaya. What horror subgenre movie story, whatever, would the players like to see a scenario inspired by? I would love to maybe do an investigation in Japan or something with uh, Japanese ghosts or spirits or entities. I think that would be really cool. I don't honestly generally care for zombie movies as a whole. I think they're overdone, but... The one type that I do absolutely love is like zombie two styles of like Caribbean zombies with like voodoo stuff and things like that. I love that. And uh, that would be fun. Roy, look, okay. I think that Roy's goal in life is to, because this is my goal in life and Roy is me. I think that his goal in life is to be like Ernest Hemingway. Uh, and go to the uh, Caribbeans and then die. I think it'd be fun to go a little more, a little more sci-fi almost. One of my favorite little bits of horror out there comes from the Fallout series. If you ever take the time to dig into the stories behind all the vaults and all the the things that Vault Tech did to these innocent and sometimes not so innocent people, it makes this really great story of what happens when science runs unchecked, which I feel like is something that could fit really well into uh, a Cthulhu universe. All right, uh, Brian, your last question. It is for Gabriel. What was your first thought when Roy fell unconscious and had zero hit points left? And all that would keep him alive were the rolls. Anytime that uh, Roy ever takes any damage, I just assume that this is it. This one seemed a little more dire. Well, I was freaking out on the inside, pretty much. I, I don't know. I'm very attached to Roy, and I just assume that the world is out to get him. Anytime that things go bad... Because I have a list, I will say. I'm not going to say what's on that list. There's a list of things I want to do before Roy dies. If he dies, then I don't get to do that list. I've, I have done things on it, and there, but there are more things, and I would be very upset. They call that a bucket list. No, it's called a <laughs> Roy dies, do these before it list, I think is the term. That's a mouthful. Phoenix Black asks, if the players were stuck in an end-of-the-world scenario or facing off against old gods, which PC, past or present, would they team up with? Bugsy. Stephen Crumpet. Honestly, yes, 100%. Because he literally pops out of nowhere at the end of that and is like, here's a rocket launcher, here's a giant machine gun, here's everything you need to win. I do love Stephen Crumpet. So to have somebody there who's like, yep, here's the answer to all your problems, here you go, you need this, you need this, this is what you do. But not just that, but the nonchalant feel. Annalise Umbertide Belladonna says, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? And with West technology, can this be sped up? Well, of course it can. Me as a person, it takes one. 
Two, I'm less talented. Uh, I'm I'm with Mr. Owl. I think it takes three. Yeah, I'm with you. One, a two, a three. And West technology can always be utilized to speed this shit up. You know, if you want a serious answer, there are colleges that have done actual like scientific studies on this question where they like recreated they made a licking machine that like recreated the texture of the tongue and then they recreated the ph of your saliva and literally just sat it there and counted the number of times that it took because science fuck yeah so i think west technology would like just melt it or something oh yeah super spit all right matt your third question uh, my third question is for you, Brian. Uh, so with the introduction of Pippa, was there any bits or pieces of her character that we didn't get to explore that you're excited to potentially reveal in future episodes? She pretty much wore her personality on her sleeve. Everything you got to see was who she is. You might find out some things that she's become. So yes, you will find out more. Because I kept casting magic beyond my magic skill into my health and melted my flesh. So yeah, I'm a bit damaged. It's going to be fun to play. Clearly the only option at this point is to get damage tattooed across your forehead. That way everybody knows that you're damaged. Chris Parker says, Since Shadow Out of Time seems like it had been at least a minor inspiration for Case 12. Which pieces of mythos or non-mythos works would you like to explore, even if only thematically? What about those works do you find engaging? I think uh, Pickman's model, in particular, and ghoul situation is something that we haven't really tapped into that much. I would really like to delve further into ghoul civilization. Damn pale skins. Smoothies. I kind of touched on it earlier, but even though we, we've kind of dipped our toes in the, the realm of science gone awry or science unchecked with that island, I feel like that's such a rich area and theme, especially with the existence of Herbert West in our in-game universe. I feel like there's a whole lot of room to kind of move within that sphere and really pull out some, some more unique stories and elements. You know, there's certain things that I'd like to see, but I'm not going to say them because that means I never will. You know, I, I don't think that we need to completely be like, all right, we can only use things that are specifically in the books. I think it's good to use them as a as a guide, but not in not a Bible. Crossy has a question for me. Do you regret that everyone didn't take Starbuck on her offers so you could have a glorious clusterfuck of betrayal? Yes. Yes, I am. Look, I tried. And that's on me. I did not make the pros of that enticing enough for folks. I kind of set them up more as a means of not necessarily betrayal, but like, would they keep things from each other? I kind of thought that these guys would go for the prospect of having someone critical in their life or crucial in their life be resurrected. You know, I thought maybe that would bring somebody of the three on board, at least in some respect. But no, they immediately all just like, eh, here's what happened. Let me tell you, let me say this. I was going to. I was gonna. But then I woke up and these two were talking about it. And I was like, okay, well, I can't be like, I didn't have a dream. What are you guys talking about? That wouldn't have been believable. I still tried to do it a little bit with, you know, behind their backs. It was just, I lied. I know I lied to them about what she wanted from me. I tried to play both sides and it didn't work. 
I don't think Pippa would have ever done it because she was more pissed at the invasion of the dream than anything else. But the other two, you might have been able to give them that tempted, you know, maybe uh, I can bring back that person for for Rocky, the one that he wants to have that closure with. It would have been fun to me if somebody had, or or if all of them had attempted to do, but maybe I made it too complicated or whatever. So it, it was an interesting diversion and a way to practically figure out how we could make an episode without everybody being there. Yeah. I will say also, when we did our individual sessions, I thought I was the only one who was getting this offer. Genuinely. I genuinely thought that. So when they started talking about it, I kind of freaked out. I did too. When you guys started talking about because I had planned on doing it. And when you started talking about it, I was like, oh shit, wait. I like freaked out. That makes me so happy because I thought it was too obvious. No, I genuinely did not think for a second that that's what that. I thought Roy and Rocky were going to find out that I got the offer that's why i spilled the beans because i didn't i'd rather come from me than them for them to figure out or catch me in the middle of sabotaging something oh yeah it was contemplated but then we hit the point where charlene ended up with pippa's stone and then we had the whole sidebar with me trying to take her out was still me kind of maybe we'll see what happens since that ended up being shut down pretty quickly i was like okay no we have to we have to get back on track now, Rocky still has all three stones, correct? I sold them on eBay. Not as a lot. No, oh God, no. I sold them individually. Philulu has a question for Gabe. Do you ever find yourself thinking, what would Roy do when dealing with real life situations? No, because I think when I when I do Roy, I think I think what what would I wish I would do if I was in this situation as a person and I had no impulse control? What would Gabe do? Roy is just me with no impulse impulse control. All right, and uh, final question, guys, from Bifford: Why does Phoenix Black not provide the voice when the cat speaks at the end, but does voice the narration throughout? This is in regards to uh, case. 12 tape 13 the epilogue actually phoenix did provide the voice for ripley the cat however obviously if ripley is to be a character an npc in future episodes uh we need to be practical about this because i can't wrangle and schedule folks for all of this so uh essentially i decided early on that i was going to be voicing ripley uh who was my cat It was very nice for Phoenix to volunteer and have passion for Ripley's story. So I appreciate the fact that uh, Phoenix was able to do that for us. Yeah, it was great. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much for watching. This is going to be it for the episode of the Lovecraft Tapes and wrapping up Case 12 in its entirety. I appreciate you listening and smelly we do invite you to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you prefer and of course watching on whatever streaming platform you prefer if you like what you hear please leave us a review uh meanwhile you can find us at lovecrafttapes.com with links to our hashtag recommendos and social media channels including reddit youtube or discourse over the chat with us real time you can find me on twitter at lovecraft tapes and if anybody uh, wants to chat about why clowns are terrible or why we shouldn't play Cthulhu or if you don't like elevators in general, you know, my, my Twitter is open at the real weird kid. And if anyone wants to chat with me about how even though the odds were stacked against me, I still won Cthulhu, you can find me at Lovecraft Gabe. And if anybody would like to see more of that uh, chest hair mascot going on, reach out to me. I'll make it happen. Oh, it's happening! 
Yeah, Brian Podcasts. <laughs> that costs extra. Sextra? Until next time, roll for Thunder Down Under. Hello. Sextra. The Lovecraft Tapes Podcast is copyright 2021. For more information and sponsorship opportunities, please send email to podcast at thelovecrafttapes.com. Support the Lovecraft Tapes podcast and get access to exclusive content and rewards at patreon.com slash lovecrafttapes. There is no case 13. It goes straight to 14. Oh, yeah, that's right. That would be funny, actually. <laughs> case 14, the search for case 13. I'll, I'll do I'll do case 13. It'll be just one, one episode that says, going up. Oh, that'd be good. Ding, ding. And then 45 minutes of elevator sounds. <laughs> elevator music. It there looks like go. a full-length episode, but it's just Jeremy saying going up, and then an hour and a half of elevator music. And then the bloopers. That would be good. Silence. And then a Manscaped uh, ad. Yes. <laughs>